Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 69. Round of the flops and round of the knots. Basically, some teams step up, some teams don't. There were three games yesterday, and I know I've been delivering episodes on the daily here, but yesterday I actually sat in with the Scoreless Thriller podcast with Alex and Leon. We had a really good time, chatted about the different things going on, different games, just overall what had happened in that first round of group stage matches. Now that we're into the second, I'm going to cover the six games that have happened since. We're going to start with Group A, head into Group B, and then the start of Group C. So, starting with the three games yesterday, my goodness, we really got into that point where there's a clear, clear step down in quality from what I think what France showed. Um, I think Italy were very, very, very good, and they have set a certain bar and standard for a lot of the maybe dark horse teams, but to be completely honest with you, the difference between them and what I saw from France was not significant, but enough to make you think, okay, now I know why France have actually come in and, and, and solidified themselves as tournament favorites with the display they had against Germany. Now, Italy, I think, have been terrific. They've really stepped up to the occasion. They have been playing in front of their home crowd in Rome, which certainly helps. But they've also just brought the exact right energy you want to see. The way they celebrate goals as a team, the way they get behind every single action, whether it's defensive uh, tackle at the right moment or, or a tackle in the midfield or someone just retains possession well in the middle of the park dribbling away from people. The crowd gets behind, the team really gets behind, and you get this feeling like, and Italy have a really, really good thing going right now. So I'm very impressed with them. Like I said, though, I do think there's a slight step down in quality from France. But the reality about Italy is it's more of a collective. Uh, it's so cool to see Manuel Locatelli, a guy who, when he first came up, was you know dubbed the next big thing. And his move to AC Milan, I believe, didn't really work out. And he went to Sassuolo and now has really reignited his career. And... You don't, you know, you think about who's going to score the goals for this Italian team. You don't think to yourself, Locatelli's going to have two. I think Italy look like the team that's going to have the most variety of goal scorers of any team in the tournament. I think they're going to have the most amount of different people, and they're already racking it up. Chira Immobile gets his goal, which very, very important for a striker to get those goals in the group stage because, yeah, even though Jan Sommer probably should have saved that, I do think that for Immobile, this is invaluable to score two games on the trot in these Euros. But I have to say, I was very disappointed in Switzerland. You know, I mean, I'm not saying I was expecting a whole lot from them when I talked about my predictions for the tournament. I didn't really see Switzerland doing a whole lot, uh, mostly because, in my opinion, they tend to come to these tournaments with a good, strong squad. And they do very well in qualifying because they're efficient against teams that are worse than them. But once they play teams that are just a little touch better, they seem to just fold. They, the, the, there's no one big who steps up. No one decides, I'm going to, I'm gonna, you know what, we're playing in Rome. All these fans are cheering for Italy. I'm going to do something. I, I'm going to make something happen. And we just didn't see anyone really take that kind of responsibility for Switzerland, which, I mean, it's too bad. It helps Italy, though. They're building confidence right now by beating on teams who are being relatively limp. Obviously, we saw what Turkey did. Didn't think I would see Turkey repeat this. And this is this was mind-blowing to me. 
I could not believe how poor Turkey were against Wales. Absolutely awful. I mean, just incredible. You you get to the point where you start to wonder what on earth their preparation was for this tournament. I mean, they were simply, simply terrible. And they defended, I don't really know what they were doing most of the time. They were letting Aaron, Aaron Ramsey just steam through without any issues, just run right through the midfield. No one tracks him. No one passes him off. Uh, Gareth Bale was just picking out Hollywood balls for fun. And, I mean, they they cut them open. Wales cut Turkey open I, I, so many times in that first half that you got really concerned. I mean, really concerned for what the score might be at the end. 2-0, honestly, flatters Turkey. But now they're five goals back. I mean, they're out. That's my opinion. Turkey are done. They're not going to wipe. They're not going to get with three points. You're going to need a positive goal difference, I think, to get through. As a third place team with only three points, you're going to need a positive goal difference. I, I cannot see them doing it. I think they they just chucked it. And I think that's that's the thing that's incredible is when teams have an opportunity to step up and and further their opportunity in the tournament. You wonder why sometimes they don't take it. Sometimes it's because all is not well in the team. There's discord in the camp. I remember Portugal back, I believe it was at the World Cup in 2010. They just kind of just checked out. And what we heard was that uh, in the aftermath, we heard that basically the coach wasn't liked. The way that certain stars were being handled and certain players being dropped from the squad, that didn't work. And so very quickly you have... You know, this whole entire thing that, that just, yeah, falls apart, really. M- my concerns for Turkey are that this is just a blown opportunity. And I think that there's a theme here with certain teams who just are not taking this great chance. I think Switzerland, you know, they've still got an opportunity, but the fact that they drew 1-1 with Wales and were now beaten by Italy, it sets up this ma- final match against Turkey where, yes, Switzerland can progress by winning. Are they going to be able to step up, or are Turkey going to actually do something to show some pride? So this is what those final uh, rounds of games are going to be like. It's, it's really going to be about who actually finally steps up. Sticking with this theme, look, Finland got themselves a win against Denmark. And there's something about that game where you almost want to just put an asterisk next to it because obviously Christian Eriksen died on the field and then the game was continued two hours later. Um, Thank goodness Christian Eriksen was all right and this game was able to be played in the competition, didn't pretty much get canceled, I don't know. But this was one of those situations for Finland where you get three points in a game you really didn't count on. And now you go into this next game against Russia who... Yes, they're good, and they're playing well, and they're at home. But this is an opportunity. And I think Russia, look, they were they were better than Finland, no doubt about it. I think they had more quality. I mean, Miranchuk's goal, Miranchuk from Atalanta, his goal was very, very nice. Beautiful little left-footed curling scoop to the top corner. But, you know, Finland, they scored a goal that was disallowed for offside and very narrowly, I mean, super close. And I know this could have changed a lot, but it seemed that after they were scored on, that we just didn't see what I would have considered enough of a, 
this is the game to pick up that one more point. You get this one more point in this game, and then it doesn't really matter what you've got next. Problem for Finland is they've got Belgium next, and that's going to be very, very difficult, obviously. Now, Russia, I did think were very good, so I, I, you got to give them some credit for bouncing back from their loss to Belgium. The match between Russia and Denmark is going to be excellent. I think it's going to be a very, very good game. But in this situation, you know, I think Russia, they went ahead and were like, look, we need to get a win. Okay, we need to get right back in the, in the picture, and they did. And so this is where in, in each of these individual games, what you see is whether a team gets their plan right and whether they go out and execute. And it's not just about the plan and the tactics and everything. In, in tournaments like this, it's your big players. Patrick Schick is a great example of someone who just picked up the team and carried them on his back for in just a couple moments. But he was able to get such crucial goals that all of a sudden the Czech Republic beat Scotland in a game they probably should not have. And so big players need to step up. Big teams need to start stepping up. And when I watched Wales-Turkey, I mean, this was a clear example. Ramsey, excellent, excellent job running through from the midfield. Also, his just possession on the ball, the way he was able to move around and just carry possession of the ball, not panic, find options, draw fouls. Defensively, he was outstanding. I mean, I, th I thought Aaron Ramsey was man of the match. Gareth Bale was very good as well. Okay, save for the missed penalty, but he he was excellent, and especially the assist at the end. The weird thing about Turkey was that they they seemed like they were in a perpetual state of unable to learn from the past five minutes. So when Aaron Ramsey ran through for his goal, this was the third or fourth time that this had happened. Sort that out. Your back line, either tell Yakushalu to start running with him, or someone needs to pick him up. But Wales were just trying to do the same things over and over, which they just kept working, which was bizarre. It made you wonder, did Turkey even have, like, an actual game plan? What were they, what were they doing? And I really struggled to understand it. For me, whatever was going on was, was really, really frustrating because they make me look like a mug. All right, honestly, Turkey, I had you down as potential group winners. <clears throat> and now I think you're pretty much the first team out of the competition. Thanks a lot. I mean, they were tactically terrible. At the end of the game, Bale's final assist, the, the assist on the second goal, in the opposite corner, he had acted like he was going to hold it there, and they just kind of gave him an alleyway to go to goal. And then 30 seconds later, he does it again, and this time he scores. Throughout the match, Turkey basically just kept repeating basic errors and not learning from them. I mean, it was it was incredible. This game could and should have been more than just 2-0. And so, yeah, disappointed in Turkey for how pretty much no one on their team rose to the occasion in this tournament. And now, just like that, it's pretty much over for them. It, it, one thing that I found was interesting was Demiral, who had an own goal in the first game, doesn't start this one. I don't know why. Obviously, I'm not going to presume that it was just because he had an own goal that he didn't start. But he's one of your most experienced players. And then he gets subbed on at halftime when you're 1-0 down um, because you have a nightmare going on at the back. Well, it didn't improve. So I, I'm not really sure what, what the ideas were. But give credit to Italy. Obviously, I mean, it's got to feel great for the Azzurri. If you're, if you're an Italian, this is, this is definitely the kind of vibe you want to see. Um, will they be good enough? once they get deeper into the tournament. I mean, they've obviously got these games in Rome, which help a lot. 
But do they have the the real, real class and firepower to beat the top teams? Oh, we'll see. Um, in the end, it was the flops who were losing teams. And, you know, the displays with quality, those are the things that make it easy for Italy, for Wales, for Russia to get the three points. And like I said, in a major tournament, you have opportunities to show up and you've got three games, hopefully... You know, you can get yourself into a good position with this tournament, with the format, with more teams going through. You have such more of a chance than you do in the World Cup to just eke out a way to get out of the group stage. And so to see teams kind of just fail, not only in key moments, but also just not really show up for the tournament at all. It's really, really disappointing. It's 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 kind of it's kind of a bummer. So it's going to be very interesting to see how things pan out in that group. I, I really, really enjoyed the games today. Uh, goodness me. Ukraine against North Macedonia. It's one of those ones on paper. You're like, ah, oh, this isn't going to be that interesting. But all the games at these Euros are pretty good. Almost every single one has either been super interesting, uh, thriller, or just a very good game with with plenty of good key points to pay attention to. So Ukraine, North Macedonia, really big three points for Ukraine. I'll get to exactly why in a minute. But uh, North Macedonia, I have to say, they're, they're doing really well to stay around in every game, to, to keep everyone on their toes. It's unfortunate for them to go 3-1 loss to Austria instead of just 2-1 because they really could have been there. And today, this game could have gone in any direction in the second half. Ukraine were definitely the better team in the first half, getting a 1-0 lead from a very nice little flick at the front post that Yarmolenko turns in at the back stick, gets his second goal of the tournament. And then Yaremchuk um, goes ahead and gets his second goal of the tournament in the second half to make it 2-0. And then the game started to get a little more interesting here. North Macedonia kept pushing, kept trying to create opportunities, got a penalty. Alioski has it saved smashes in his rebound, 2-1, and then <laughs> Malinovsky gets an opportunity to score a penalty kick for Ukraine. He misses. 2-1's a final score. Amazing. But after Memphis Depay scored his goal, his penalty for Holland today, we ended up at, now we have had six penalties. Four of them have been either missed or saved. That's an incredible statistic, and it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, moving on to the big emotional game of the day. This was uh, Denmark versus Belgium. Of course, this was always going to be a lot of tension built up into the next time Belgium played after Christian Eriksen's incident, right? So we knew that there was going to be something planned for the 10th minute. That I think what we heard was that they'd probably stop play. But we didn't even need to wait that long for the drama. Jason Denier messes up his passing to, to bring the ball out of the back. And in less than two minutes, Yusuf Poulsen is able to slot home a goal, and my goodness, the the emotion that you could see on all the players' faces when that goal went in was really amazing. I mean, God, the noise in the stadium, it was, it was an impressive moment. And then, 10th minute, everything, ball stops, everyone stops and is just clapping, 60 seconds to clap for Christian, and this was a powerful moment. Um, I've never seen this at this level before. I don't know if it's ever happened at this level before, but... Very touching moment. Just one of those together, we're all a football community type of feelings. Even when you're sitting in a chair watching the game from 3,000 miles away on a different continent, it's you still got a good feeling about, yeah, we all agree on this. We all 
we all hope for the best and show feel the same level of concern for each other and for this. So, and the same passion for this game. Now, Belgium were not good in the first half. They were not very good at all, and Denmark were great. So, unfortunately for Denmark, they could only get a 1-0 lead because once halftime came around and you're able to put Kevin De Bruyne on the field, now you can start seeing the game change and turn a little bit. Once he found his feet, Roberto Martinez made his second wave of subs, and this is where he brings on Eden Hazard for Yannick Carrasco, and he brings on Atzelwitzel for Leander Dendonkor. This is a step up in quality, and it showed almost immediately. What it did was it freed up space for Lukaku, who had been, for most of the game, very well marshaled by essentially four defenders. They were just kind of moving across, just making sure that he was always double teamed and that if there was any kind of run, that someone else would come and cover. So as soon as the other the others get on the field, it, that, that can't work anymore. Axel Witzel can, can set a sort of metronome pace, which, by the way, Kevin De Bruyne had already started doing, running all over the place, getting balls, switch from side to side. And then the chance, first real great chance for them came. Lukaku bombs away, leaving Kier just on the floor in the midfield. Nice little cutback to Kevin De Bruyne, and yes, Gorgeous composure to sit down both center backs and then chop the ball across. Now, there's an element of luck here that I think whoever was at the back post, I think it was Eden Hazard, was actually offside. And it was Thorgan who came through and smashed it in before it could get there. So it would have been interesting to see if Thorgan Hazard hadn't come and got that ball, if it had gone to the back post, would that goal have stood? We'll never know. Doesn't really matter. That was a great goal. But the second one, my goodness. Lukaku did not get anywhere near enough credit for this hold-up play, at least on the broadcast I was listening to. Hopefully, for any of you who are listening to a broadcast from somewhere else in the world or a different channel, I'm hoping that they talked about that hold-up and build-up play in the lead-up to the goal because he gets the ball out on the wing and just, you know, he's out on the sideline by the touchline. He just dribbles by two people, shifts the ball by another one. Just excellent, close control, really good one against two gives the ball to Tielemans, Tielemans sends it into Hazard, Hazard plays it to his brother Hazard, very nice little two one-touch one, little one, two, one touch passes, sets up Kevin De Bruyne and he hits, uh, I mean, an impossible shot to save unless Schmeichel's actually just a little bit further over to the right. But you don't see this coming, and the way he hits it, I mean, it's in the back of the net so quickly at the near post. Belgium really turned it on. This was an impressive change of gear and a show of class that that's a message to everyone in the tournament look what happens when for 30 minutes we've got our best team on the field this is what we can produce and they really did produce so look Denmark made a real fist of it they almost came back they almost had a goal Martin Braithwaite hitting the crossbar from a header and it it, it really felt like Denmark might actually get that moment the crowd right behind the goal they were I mean they were just dying for it. And it would have been, I think it would have been fun to see a 2 2 draw because I think it would have set up Denmark to be in a better position to go through. I would like to, I would love to see them advance and keep their story going. Belgium, I think, are going to, they're going to win their next match anyway. I don't think that's too big of a deal for them. But th- this was very impressive to see Belgium sort of step up throughout a game like that and really increase the level, go through the gears, and essentially just overpower a very quality and well-spirited Denmark team. So then we move on to the final game, Holland. They 
this wasn't a great watch. Um, there was a sort of weird inevitability to it because Austria were, I mean, really disappointing. Same as Switzerland. Same, not, not as bad as Turkey. Um, similar to Finland. They, they, they very much accepted th their defeat almost as soon as they went behind. And they went behind just too early. I mean, they were down in, uh, in about 20 minutes. Uh, Memphis Depay penalty. Dumfries got clipped by Alaba. I don't... I don't it, Everyone seemed to think it was a good call. I kind of thought it was soft, but probably the okay decision. In the end, Holland Dumfries gets another goal, um, so he's now got two this tournament. So good for him. Really exciting. But I, you know, I think that Austria, what the spirit that they showed in playing against North Macedonia was great. But here's the thing about the Euros: you're not going to play a whole bunch of teams that are just worse than you that you can build your confidence with. Your games where you have to really show something are in the big moments. Okay, maybe you lose to one of the top sides when you play them. But Holland are currently not one of the top sides. They're currently trying to build up the confidence. And so Austria going in there and being limp, like I've said, any of these teams that come out limp, it's, it's, just, it's just disappointing. They don't create a good game. The competition level is relatively low because... You know the the team the other team doesn't have to do a whole lot to win, and that I think is a little bit disappointing. But look, it, it, the cool thing about these groups is how they're going to shape up at the end. Denmark currently on zero points, Finland on three, Ukraine on three, or sorry, Russia on three. I mean, this is this is going to be a really really fun last round. The unfortunate thing about those the last round of group games is they're at the same time, so. <laughs> You don't get to actually watch as many games because maybe you do the split screen thing or you got two monitors, whatever it is you do. But it, it's it's definitely going to be interesting here. I mean, Austria and Ukraine will face off in their final match against each other, and they are even on points and goal difference. So, you know, at this point, that's that's just one of those things. Winner goes through, and if they both draw they actually might both go through as well because they would both be on four points. The question is, of course, what happens with all the rest of the third-place teams? Draws are the results to start keeping an eye on because those are the little things that can help you get above that three-point mark. If you get to the four, I think you make it in as a third-place team. Of course, there's there's going to be some real competition for that, and, and of course, goal difference is going to be a major factor as well. One of the reasons I was a little surprised that Kasper Schmeichel actually went up on the set piece that Denmark had at the end against Belgium because it got cleared and they almost got scored on. Had they gotten scored on again and their goal difference goes to negative three, that's even more difficult. If Denmark can beat Russia 3-0, they have a real chance of going to the next round. As I said, if you can have three points but a positive goal difference, that gives you a shot. We will see. But overall, the, the football has been going. Copa America... Back on this evening, Colombia play Venezuela. Brazil play against Peru. It should be should be good. I think as we advance game by game, we're going to start to see the intensity really ramp up. Brazil, I think they're going to just keep on trying to bring the style, bring the sauce. Also, I wanted to mention the uh, United States women's national team. They played against Nigeria last night. And I give a lot of credit to Nigeria, who have improved steadily over the years and really made life really difficult for the U.S. In the end, I actually am looking at this U.S. team. And U.S. women's soccer fans, 
maybe you don't agree with me, but I don't think this team's winning the Olympics. I say this not in any way as a knock on Vlatko Ananovsky. I think he's a very good coach. But this team does not look as dynamic as the World Cup winning team. And it's most of the same players. Just a few other additions that maybe could have been in that squad. Players who I think in some ways have made the team, or, you know, have absolutely helped and made the team better in some ways. But and it's not that I would leave anyone out. Like, I'm not saying I think Carly Lloyd or Megan Rapino should no longer be playing because of their age or anything. I think they still provide a lot. But the question is, who are the leaders, the real drivers in this team for them to actually play to really, really win games? Right now, they're getting results. But when they play against England or a team like Japan at the Olympics, I mean, they may really, really, really struggle just to score goals. And they are vulnerable. So, look, I may be wrong, but I actually, I'm going to predict right now that I don't think the U.S. women win the Olympics this summer. I think there needs to be a stumbling block for them to start to sort of rejuvenate the team, rejuvenate the ideas a little bit, and maybe go in a slightly different direction than what they are now. And I don't mean change of coach and massive change of personnel. I just mean a slight change of playing style and what works best because they really did not look good this past week. There were any games where I was like, yeah, they look awesome. And in the lead up to the World Cup, I remember them smashing every team they played six or seven nil. This looks a little different. So, just my opinion, but we'll see. I'm excited for those Olympics to roll around as well. Uh, one little thing I heard is that Andre Pierre Gignac is going to be playing for France. Up to the 23s. So, that'll be really, really funny. Anyway, everybody, thanks so much for stopping by. Please, once again, go check out the Squirrels Thriller podcast. Um, Alex and Leon are great dudes. We had a nice conversation about all these things we've been talking about, and uh, they provide some good, fun opinions and a good little clip of Stephen A. Smith doing Stephen A. Smith.